Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Foreign Press Comics. I'm your host, Kyler Merrill, and today we have uh, the creator of A Tiger's Tale. It's coming to Kickstarter on February 1st. It's um, Patrick Lugo. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing well. Glad to, glad to be here, Kyler. Yeah, Thanks for having here. me. Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to? Uh, mostly just juggling flaming axes as I prepare for all of the details around a Kickstarter, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely familiar. That little, that first, that like pre-Kickstarter where that for month right before you get a little, there's the, all, all of a sudden everything clicks and you're kind of hitting that point where, you know, you're wondering like, did I, did I forget this? Do you have to double check everything in your head, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's definitely really stressful. This and like, you know, for the next two months, you'll be busy or at least your brain will be busy. Indeed. No have question you, about it. Yeah. Have you ever run a Kickstarter before? No, this is actually my first Kickstarter. That's, mm. um, I mean, I, I, you're probably more prepared than I was. I just, the la- I've tried two and I haven't been successful, but I know plenty of people who have like um, another guest on the podcast. He had never written a comic, never done anything before. And he just did a Kickstarter because he was like, yeah, screw it. Let's try it. And he's like got way over his goal. So like, I'm definitely not like in the majority, but because I thought I had prepped and then I had not prepped. So, um, yeah. Oh, I feel that. I mean, I'm prepping as much as I can, but I've been getting a lot of good advice from folks who've really, you know, handled Kickstarter well. And in all honesty, I'm not listening to all of it just because there are only 24 hours in a day, you know? If I could give one piece of advice, it's that I'm sure by now you've heard of the dead zone, right? Yes. That little hit point in the middle. Like even for the second one, I was prepared for it. And then when it happened, I wasn't prepared. I don't know if that makes sense, but like I told myself in my head, I was like, it's coming. It's going to be, it's going to slow down. It's going to get really dead. And then I still freaked out when it did it anyway. So like as low as like be extra prepared for the dead zone, like, and obviously everybody goes through the dead zone, but like still, even when I thought like, I was like, I got this, like the de- I know it's coming. I'm not going to worry about it this time at all. Cause this time I was running it with someone else. It's like, don't worry in the middle, it's going to slow down. I'm going to be fine. I was not fine. So just be extra prepared. But um, yeah, so we're here to talk about A Tiger's Tale. Um, do you kind of want to give the um, bare bones um, uh, summary logline tag of the book? Sure. So imagine the Jungle Book meets the Tao Te Ching. If people know about Taoism, they'll know what that book is like the seminal text of Taoism. But for those people who don't know it, you can think of it as the Jungle Book meets Avatar, The Last Airbender. It's a kung fu epic with talking animals. I mean, that's a pretty apt description. I mean, it's, so it's the tale of, um, mostly the tale of Khan, a tiger, and his uh, brothers and um, the other boy whose name I forgot. I read this last night. I literally (laughs) looked at it again last night. It's a Japanese name. It's one I know, but I'm not remembering it. Um, you Go must be it. thinking of Kintaro, the golden yes. boy. Yes, yes. I was like, I, I wanted to say Momotaro, but Momotaro is the peach boy and not who I was thinking of. But I knew I, I knew I had it somewhere in, in the brain. But um, so I guess where, I guess let's start with um, your, uh, the history of the book. Where did, the, where, did the, where did it start with? Well, the 
book started as a, well, to, to think about the book, at first I have to go back where I initially pitched Tiger's Tale. And I pitched it to the publishers of Kung Fu Magazine uh, years ago when I was first working for them. And so they agreed to give me a page in the back of the magazine where I could just do comics, but they wanted it to still have an educational component. So they, they connected me with uh, some historians. And ultimately what I found was I was able to work with the various Kung Fu masters who were coming in to be featured on the magazine, right? Kung Fu magazine. But I would talk to them about the the lore and the folklore behind the origins behind their martial art and they were always delighted because so many times they just assume people want to know practical street applications and here i was this guy who was drawing funny pictures sometimes i draw like a caricature of them and i would talk with them and get them to tell me the some of the more secret stories and the mythology behind how their martial arts started. And so I would use that and then incorporate that into little page by page chapters in the magazine. From there, I've you know ultimately assembled that and recreated it into an entire graphic novel that just takes those basic concepts and unifies it into uh, an epic, I would say. You know, they they start in the mundane world and they end up in the court of dragons. So, um, well, actually, you kind of got me thinking, and I actually, I guess I want to go a little bit further back to um, mm. kind of, I guess, what's your history with, because um, I know that martial arts is something that you're passionate about, uh, or kung fu, you know, things like that. Um, so I guess, give us kind of where you came from as far as that aspect, because you said you were working for Kung Fu Magazine. What's been your history as far as getting into that world? Well, so... Uh synchronicity and, and circumstance. I, I, you know, started out in New York. I worked for a small indie comic publisher called Double Edge Publishing. This is in the 90s during the whole comics boom of the 90s. So I had big ideas, but ultimately I got headhunted by the company that published Tigers, but published Kung Fu Magazine, which allowed me to move to California and take this little 60 page black and white magazine and help turn it into a more mainstream full color production. So, and were, so you, were you a writer there or? Um, I worked writer? as their art director. So, um, you know, got schooling as an illustrator, but also schooling as a graphic designer. So the graphic design component kind of won out for a chunk of time and yeah. allowed me to move, pay the rent. And then, you know, the passion of comics was always there in the background. So for sure. snuck in the back page. It opened a few other doors, allowed me to illustrate some children's books. But the one thing was, is I was devoted to that magazine. My goal was to make that magazine the best it could be. And as a result, I just was so fortunate to meet all of these amazing Kung Fu masters, you know, monks traveling from China, just all over, the, you know, coming in and just wanting to be noticed. And so working with them, uh, directing photo shoots with each, with each one of them just created this um, great atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then my love for comics was, was so useful because if you can think of those magazine layouts, right? They're step-by-step -step fight scenes. 
you know, attacker throws a punch. What do you do? You block, you step to the left, you know, however it works. And so that always allowed me to utilize my comics thinking and my sequential art skills and really just learn how to tell a story mm-hmm. in this, you know, specific framework. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It actually, it's really interesting how you can use that. Um, you, it's kind of started with you using that sequential storytelling through like photos and things. And you're still telling a story over the course of, the, of you know, a page on a magazine. And now you've turned that into illustrations instead of using pictures now. Um, so was that was that magazine your first um, intro to martial arts or do you have a pre-existing um, interest in that? Oh, I definitely, I had two older brothers, so they liked to tussle and they were in their prime during the set, the the Kung Fu boom of the seventies. So as a little kid, I always had them to look after. And so pretty early on, I got introduced to your basic Taekwondo classes. And then as I got older, I just kept kind of finding something more and more interesting so that by the time I was in college, you know, I was vice president of the Kung Fu club and, you know. Yeah. So um, I guess that leads me to, um, I guess, so I'm assuming like your first uh, forays into um, comics were with, were those with other characters like, you know, like Shang-Chi and like, you know, hands of Kung Fu and things like that. Or they were there. I mean, I had access to my brother's collection of comics. So yeah. I was definitely sneaking into their box to like grab things even before I could read, which then thankful then, you know, if I, if I started drawing in them, that's when I kind of got in trouble, but <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the book is one that it deals a lot with. Um, what am I trying to say? Um, different types of East Asian, like Chinese, specifically Chinese and Japanese um, mythologies. It's um, and, you know, names and naming conventions and things like that. But so I guess, how were you, was, was your, was the magazine kind of your, how were you, what's your experience with that, with the more spiritual mythological side of things? Well, I mean, meditation was something I had learned to adopt really early. So there was always that aspect of things that were interesting. But once I started working with the magazine, they were run by a Chinese founder and a Korean founder. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of different variations with cultural norms. The greatest example you could think of is the concept of feng shui, which mm-hmm. has kind of entered more mainstream lexicon, you know, yeah. the, the proper way a house should be set up. But when I first started working for the company, I had no idea of this concept and the underlying theories behind it. And so it was just part of my due diligence to try and learn some of the thinking behind these little nuances, why you should take a sword and always hang it with the tip pointing towards the front door, right? There's a Kung Fu component to it, but that's kind of now thousands of years later turned into the little feng shui mirror that you can find at, yeah. at your local acupuncturist. So it was always like that curiosity and that desire to understand how the Chinese language functioned Mm -hmm. and just seeing how all of those pieces really just work together as a one unified whole. Mm -hmm. You you can't really escape 
you can't really have one without the other. Yeah. So the more you learn about one, the more you start learning about all of those other components. Mm-hmm. And it definitely seemed like from reading it that the um, the Dao or the Dao Te Ching is a, a, is an especially big part of it because, you know, that's kind of how the book starts out is with um, elements of that when you have the yin, the yang and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm imagining that that's been a big part of your uh, personal uh, kind of philosophy, I guess. Oh, yes, definitely. Like I said, I mean, I discovered meditation and Eastern thought at a very young age. And then while my high school buddies were going out to parties, I was, I was learning Zen meditation. So I always was, you know, kind of pursuing this other, this other interest that would come and go as, you know, you get old enough and you kind of forget, but they were always there. And so then finding this job that was just all about these details just really opened up my tendency to want to learn something and learn it thoroughly, mm-hmm. you know, really get into like the, the weird things behind it. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, the concept of Taoism, right? The concept of that yin yang symbol, right? Is actually called a Tai Chi. And then as you know, Tai Chi is a martial art. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the translation of Tai Chi as a martial art translates to the term grand ultimate, right? So Tai Chi is the grand ultimate expression of a martial art. So, and already it's, that's very heady stuff. And what does that even mean? You know, maybe that's why old people can still do it. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I ask is because, um, uh, the Tao Te Ching, especially like I've gone through, you know, several phases in my life as well of like where certain things were, you know, of more interest to me and, you know, my own journeys like spiritually and stuff is, or, you know, religious, religiously, spiritually, however you want to phrase that has gone through a lot of different things, but the Tao is definitely something I've focused on. Like you had mentioned for our book club, you had mentioned as a possibility was the Tao of Pooh. Um, I have uh, this literally on my desk, the essence of Tao. Then I have the Tao Te Ching. It's sitting over there in my desk. Um, so like, I'm just, I'm very interested in that. Um, so I guess you got a lot of exposure to it from those, um, uh, those, uh, Kung Fu uh, martial artists and um, monks and people like that who were um, you got to interact with as part of this um, your time at Kung Fu magazine. Uh, were there any one or two in particular lessons, maybe not for anyone else's benefit, but mine that um, you thought like life lessons or I don't know, is there anything in particular that you thought that they imparted to you or that you just maybe it wasn't like an explicit this is a lesson, but something that you, what's a, is there anything you gained from those experiences? Like as far as the more spiritual side of things goes? Oh, I mean, I can, I can go on. It's well, I guess the one thing, the first thing that comes to mind was, and it's funny to say, but it's, was the demystification of these ideas, you know? So I would meet these, these Kung Fu masters who were, you know, some of these people were like, 70, 80 years old, and they were doing things that I could never do, even in my prime. And in some cases, they, they'd still afterwards, they'd still go out and smoke a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, seeing that, you know, created this whole uh, cognitive dissidence about like, what is a master supposed to be? And that sort of thing really opened up the difference between what 
you know, what mastery means in terms of a person who's like mastered themselves and, and come to be comfortable with who they are and, and what they do. So that kind of thing, like the practicality of these concepts and how to apply them in a, in a fun way. And I'm no expert and I don't claim to be like a spiritual master. I've just been fortunate to be in the company with truly amazing people. And so to see their generosity and to see their, um, their adaptability is just such a, a key thing to model. But, you know, not all of them are saints. They're still humans too. And so to see a practical application of, you know, someone who is, you know, the, 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 the abbot of Shaolin Temple, but, you know, he might still like a Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. Or let's say another interesting one. In my job, I got to meet the personal photographer to the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. Now, he's not a martial artist, but he's a renowned spiritual figure. Mm -hmm but he still likes to eat Cheerios in the morning. And so that sense of like, you know, practical, like mm -hmm. basic things and basic simple pleasures is still available to people, even if they're aspiring for these, you know, really aspirational goals. And so I think, I think that's kind of taught me how to, how to kind of balance ideals with practical considerations and you know we live in a world where you can't just drop everything and go off to the mountain so you got to kind of learn how to take a little bit of both or mm -hmm. you know as one of my martial art instructors would say you have to learn how to bring the mountain to you mm -hmm. i mean i i i definitely think that's a really big part of it. i think in several ways you mentioned demystification of it and like i feel like for a lot of people there's not just i guess it is like you said there's a certain level of um like uh i i the best word i can think of is like woo woo like people kind of see it as like oh it's you know weird little stuff but you know it's it's not and it's something that i've one of the things that i've learned over and i like i'm not i'm definitely not an extra i feel like i don't i don't know anything i'm you know i've read like two books about it and read like half of the actual Tao Te Ching. and so and not that reading it is going to like solve it, but you know, I'm not, I'm still not that exposed, but it's just that those ideas are really, you know, they're actually really common ideas. We just think of them because they have that kind of East, I using this air quotes, but like East Asian kind of brand, we tend to think of it as all super mystical and like really mysterious and things when it's not always that way. That's so true. There's um, how can I say it? There's a, there's like a filter that one has to, to pull aside to realize that, you know, the reason why they're so, these concepts are so considered so mystical is that they've endured the test of time or they've just, you know, you can, it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. Some of these principles are just fundamental ways of seeing the world mm -hmm. if you want to. And I mean, another thing, like you said, that may, that may, uh, that I thought of when with about regarding just the Tao and like the people who, you know, the martial arts masters that you've interacted with is, um, you know, like you said, they're all human. And that's a big part of like things like the Tao and like Buddhism and things like that. It's about escaping the self, you know, it's about, but it's kind of the idea is that we are still human and, but it's kind of learning to escape that, but not like to completely abandon it. And so I think that's all. Um, that's True. What think yeah, I, I agree. I think I think you can think of it as um, learning to come to terms with who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of one of the key themes that I wanted to embed in a tiger's tail. 
which is the story of a tiger. Now, tigers are just renowned for their significance in martial arts. So I wanted to take a tiger and frame him in a way that he was a tiger that did not want to be a tiger. He wanted to be something else. And that desire kind of sets in motion the events which cause more problems than he thought he would have solved. And so I wanted to use that as a way to illustrate that a lot of our journeys are really like a, you know, a journey to recognize, you know, the good parts of ourselves as well as the bad parts of ourselves and to, you know, to come to terms with that. And I, th- I mean, I think that's an important theme these days, right? Mm-hmm. The, the nature of who we are is, is such a hot topic on so many levels. Definitely. Um, and I, I, you know, without going too much into the book, because I don't want to spoil anything, but that journey is definitely reflected. It's like his internal journey is definitely reflected in the outward journey and the journey that he goes on through the story. Um, so I guess I kind of want to, um, and as opposed to the, um, you know, more spiritual philosophical side of it, um, were, um, what were the, um, you know, were there any specific myths or stories that you, that you heard that were very, that were like particularly influential in a tiger's hill? I think, uh, the two key themes that I were really fascinated was um, what it means to see a world in balance, you know, and, and what, it, what a world out of balance can look like while not being our world. So a theme like that. Another thing that really was more specific was uh, coming to understand how significant Shaolin Temple is not just to martial arts, but to Zen Buddhism, you know, to like how it's in like how that one little part of the world and the history connected to that one temple, you know, really bridges, you know, yoga from India to Zen meditation in Japan, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just like such a huge chunk of the world, Mm -hmm. you know, that is finding an access point in the history of this one place, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah. Oh, go ahead. I really wanted to put a spotlight on that, on, mm-hmm. on Shaolin temple and the nature of martial arts mm-hmm. without necessarily just doing fight scenes. Yeah. And I mean, like you have it in the book, you shoot, I don't have it open anymore. I thought I still had it open. Um, like, you know, you have, you know, a lot of the, um, Okay, give me a, give me a second. I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to pull it up because I don't remember any of the names. I'm bad. I'm terrible. Um, it, ah, dang it! This is bad podcasting. Uh, they're um, crazy names too. So yeah. yeah. Uh, let me. There it is. I was trying to. Find, I thought I. Had, I knew I had one link open, but all I had was the press package. Um, and um, yeah. So like, um, you know, it starts out with the um, what's it called? Pengu and um, all of the. And then, but it, it is this melding of, um, you know, like I mentioned before, different um, mythologies, because you have a lot of, um, um, you know, Chinese, th- Chinese um, influences, and then you have a lot of Japanese names like um, Kintaro and um, Kagutsuchi and like other, a lot of names that, or that might not be Japanese, but it sounds Japanese. Um, but you have a lot of, you have a very good, a, a big, a I'm losing it. Susano, that's the other one I was thinking of. Um, but you have a melding of the two. 
of the two different things. So how, how was that as far as, um, did you feel an obligation to um, be, I guess, was there a, a point in the, in creating the story where um, it was, where you were unsure maybe about um, melding two different uh, types of stories together? Or was that kind of your goal was to combine the two? Yes, no, and yes. <laughs> Sorry. I initially, initially, Tiger's Tale was an expression of what I was trying to learn, right? It was the outward, it was the outward expression, right? We could say the Yang expression of what I was receiving, right? So I was receiving these lessons from Chinese Kung Fu masters but also from Japanese martial arts masters. So I was kind of bouncing between the two. So my goal was to try and find the commonalities within those stories. And so in some cases, I wanted to focus on, you know, stories from the Pacific Islands. And then in other cases, I wanted to really go into like the, the mainland of China. But I'm still uncertain. And the project has been evolving. And so... I may end up taking some of those Japanese names and applying the Chinese translation to them and just make it an entirely Chinese cosmos. Mm -hmm. um, part of the unique thing of Tiger's Tale is that it is fluid, right? And so even though the comic is completed, the story is completed, I'm coloring it, and it's, it's great fun to do that. Mm -hmm. I initially wanted to do it only in black and white, because of the yin yang but you know yeah people I, need color yeah i mean i didn't know you were going to color i just kind of assumed this was the final version which i mean i'm fine with either way it's uh, and ultimately it's your book but um yeah I, I'm, I didn't realize that was um that you were going to do that but well, go ahead well i just want to say like tiger's tail has always you know started off as a reflection of what i'm learning so even to this day i feel like for it to stay true to its spirit it has to evolve with what I'm learning today, you know, the, the software that I'm learning today and the lettering techniques that I'm picking up. So it's part of what gives that comic its life is the fact that it's so in, of the moment. Well, I mean, was there any um, worry about um, the book? Uh, I guess in your mind, was there any ever any worry about like maybe worried that you were going to offend someone or upset something? by um i don't know just was there any fear of that deal i always i'm afraid of dealing with such like spiritual ideas and things in books i'm always worried that i'm going to offend someone or you know say the wrong thing and the wrong person's going to reinterpret it the wrong way so i mean was there any fear of that i mean that's a definite legitimate fear and in some instances maybe i should have more fear and yet i also feel like i have to have trust in the fact that i've been a part of this community for 20 years or more, you know, so there's a, a part of it that just comes from having put in the hours, you know, it's not just me looking up names on Wikipedia and saying, I want to, I want to make a, I need a, I need a new lightning God. Let me see which, let me find one from Japan. You know, mm -hmm. it's more about having heard about the story and having done the research to understand some of the origins and some of the thinking behind why, you know, a lightning God would be jealous and the sun God would be a woman mm -hmm. and the J Japanese islands, but then they would 
necessarily change in a different culture, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, and then once again, I didn't want to just do a straight up, I'm going to take that story and do it my way. I just wanted to use some of those uh, influences as touchstones to try and make a story that's more of my own. But it's definitely, you know, a risk. There is risk in creation, you know, so I have to kind of lead with the heart in that sense and just hope that it's seen that way. I mean, I, I agree. I've had um, what another guest or two guests on this podcast. Um, to, um, and we talked a little bit about, um, you know, their their book dealt with some elements of spirituality as well. And so we talked kind of about the same thing and they kind of had a similar answer, which was just, you know, I'm going to tell my story and I know that I came from a good place and that I didn't come from a place of hurting anyone. And if some the people who understand are going to, or at least, you know, they're going to understand, people are going to, should be able to at least understand that I tried and that um, that wasn't my intention. And that, as I think the big part of that is as long as you're able to own up to your mistakes, you know, because like I said, I'm not trying to like be preachy because I've also dealt with similar issues in like stories that I've written. Actually, none of them will come out, but like, you know, just other things I've worried, like this is too preachy, this is too whatever. And like, so I think that's kind of the conclusion I've come to as well is that I know what my intentions are. And, um, you know, I hope that people don't understand that, but I can also admit that I made a mistake. Um, so we touched a little bit on the, um, uh, the fact that it's in black and white and it's, um, uh, uh, just how it's, I just, I guess I want to touch on kind of more of the internal parts of the story, but, um, first, I guess how would um so you did the, all the art all the lettering everything correct yes okay so um there's the book has seems to have at least a few different I don't know if you want to call them styles or different there things are done in different ways like the four a lot of the foregrounds I noticed are very like more hand drawn then you have the backgrounds that are very textured and like more digital looking uh, if that makes sense so I guess what was your what's your art process like as far as um, how are those things done? Are they done in separate steps? Because the, they do have different looks. And like, I guess we'll start there and then I can go there. All right. Well, it's it's true. It happens in different steps. I, I mm-hmm. definitely am a, a big fan of uh, traditional media, uh, pen and brush, um, brush and ink, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I've always loved working in that medium. So what I'll often do is do what I can on paper which means I have tons of like pieces of paper that have like snippets of artwork everywhere. You know, here's, here's just one panel, you know, but then I'll scan that all in and then just start incorporating it digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, After years of laying out magazine articles, I developed a fairly unique workflow in terms of having one massive database of images and then just, you know, pulling what I need and just working the story that way. So in that way, like pages can shift, panels can shift. I could, I can make a panel taller or wider and, and really just build the pages. Like I would lay out a magazine article and just like create that flow. And then once again, in the same way that for a magazine, I would engage in some photo retouching. I'm bringing these, these scanned images and retouching them, adding background layers, adding filters, 
incorporating different drawings into one and planning out, you know, foregrounds and backgrounds mm. so that I could have like one epic drawing of Shaolin Temple, but then be able to use it multiple times depending on where yeah. a character might be. But one other thing that you, one other thought that you uh, stimulated in my mind, which I thought was important to mention, having to do with, you know, what you were saying about coming from the heart and the genuine, the genuine nature of a story is that Tiger's Tale is still a work of fiction, but I'm making a point to reach out to genuine Kung Fu masters and true scholars to give them a platform to offer the real legitimate history and the real legitimate teachings. And so while A Tiger's Tale, the comic, is a work of fiction. Tiger's Tale, a Tiger's Tale.com is a platform for like real educational resources so that the young martial artist can go and read an article and understand something legitimate and not be confused between what I fictionalize and what the real teachings are. And so I think that's an important yin and yang to the whole project. Well, I mean, while we're on it, I, that that was one of the questions I had was as far as uh, Tiger's Tail website, you have um, your um, Tiger Tuesdays and things like that. Um, so I guess your intention with, I was just going to ask about what your intention was with those. So I guess from what you're saying, like, it's almost like each one of those kind of coincides with an element of the story and it's kind of a, an educational element of it kind of, I don't know, explain or to elaborate on like something in the story like from a more uh scholarly educational perspective definitely definitely that's you got it exactly right and i for that in that sense i wanted to go to the sources so once again thanks to my work within the it's called the wu lin right the kung fu community also translates to the kung fu forest so within the wu lin there are all these people with so much more knowledge than i have and so while I have enough knowledge to tell an interesting story and to explore an interesting concept, I'd much rather go to a true Taoist master and give them a platform to talk about their theory of meditation or art or fitness or a specific, you know, cultural tradition. Um, well, I, I mean, how far are those going back? Like how far, how long have you been, um, updating that i launched the tigerstail.com in august so they've only gone back about six months in that platform mm -hmm. but like i said I've, I've known some of these masters for a long time and so it's just been a question of like uh reaching out to them or like you know pulling resources from articles that that i've worked on for Kung Fu Magazine, right? Kung Fu Magazine has a huge online presence. It's extremely robust. You know, if you Google anything related to Kung Fu, Kung Fu Magazine will probably show up on that first page with a reference of some sort. So there's this vast source of information that's, that's there for martial artists, but it's not necessarily something the average comic reader is going to find. So what I want to do and what I've been learning is that, you know, there are a lot of people who love both comics and Kung Fu. And so I've been trying to pull those juiciest bits of knowledge and those 
most interesting uh, feats and really kind of give them, you know, bring them to a new audience, Mm -hmm. ideally a much younger audience who can, you know, take these teachings to a new generation. And I mean, what is the plan? Is it, is the plan to, cause I mean, you started these like significant, I mean, I guess it's only, I guess by the time that this comes out, seven months since um, from like the time you started to the Kickstarter. So, I mean, is you, or, so you've been building it up even without like the Kickstarter, like being even close really. And mm-hmm. so um, I guess, what's your plan? Is your plan to continue doing that and to build up that area of the website as kind of a, I don't know, a supplemental resource or something, maybe something almost entirely separate from not entirely separate, but you know, not as tied to the book. I mean, what's your plan with that? Oh, I mean, you've pretty much got it. Like, my goal is that 2022 will not only be the Chinese year of the tiger, but it'll be the year of tiger's tail. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I plan to just keep adding more to the website and just more lessons. Some of them will be in comic form. Some of them will be essays. There'll be some instructional videos as well. Those are a little further down the line because as you know, it yeah. takes a little extra effort, <laughs> but the goal is just to, to have the comic, but then to also have, you know, the website as a, as a resource for people to, you know, download, you know, a helpful PDF or, you know, to be able to send, you know, once their kid starts classes, they can go and, you know, check out that website and learn a little bit of, of mm-hmm. what the, what the style is that they're pursuing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, not even for someone, just someone who's interested in art or comics or you know it's just kind of a good supplemental material to your book because your book is kid-friendly and so by you know they can read the book and then they're interested in learning more or something like that you have an easy resource right there that is chock full of material for them that is expressly related to what's in the book yeah and i also want it to be especially useful for the martial arts instructor Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of people especially in california but I'm, i'm fairly certain it's a common phenomenon that they use, you know, the afternoon martial arts class as a form of daycare. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is outside of pandemic times, mm-hmm. but the idea being that a martial arts teacher can have these students come in and then can also suggest the book or, down, or, or print out the PDF to give the kids something that'll help make it easier for that martial artist to teach his lesson, you know, Mm -hmm. so he could focus on teaching the lesson. If the kids have questions, they could read the download or, you know, they could go to the website and, Mm -hmm. you know, learn from there. For sure. Um, And then go ahead. If the martial artist wants to buy a bunch of copies of the book and sell them to his students, you know, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. Um, But so I guess to go back to um, the art, it's, um, all right. So you're basically, are you doing each panel like individually, like on its own sheet of paper? And then you're like, like you said, kind of magazine style and you're just dragging them in or almost like old school um, kind of, it's kind of, I think similar to what they did like in old school comics, maybe not with panels, but like with lettering where they would do it on top. I know your lettering is digital, but um, they would take the panels and then they cut them or the lettering, you know, with lettering before they would like cut out the lettering and they put it on the page. And then they do it that process. So it sounds like your panels are kind of a similar 
way. Similar. I've 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 done my fair share of paste up, which mm. is the term yeah. that you were looking for. Yeah, there you go. So I, I've done that too. I've had to, you know, take the exacto knife and and cut the yep. negatives, and I've, I've I've been there, you know. <laughs> so that's similar. I mean, there are times when I I'll do a whole page because I want to draw the whole page, and in some instances, you know a page doesn't have panels and artwork is interacting with panels, or maybe there's a character that's moving in between panels. So there are definitely cases where I've drawn a whole page or I've drawn an entire double page spread as one single piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. But then there are other times, plenty of times when I'm just, you know, I need individual moments or, you know, this moment looks great, but you know, right now I should have a close up so I can go to that database and find if I've already drawn a close up, and if not, I could draw one and then mm. scan it and drop it in there. Or you know, I have a tablet, I can I can draw digitally. So there will be times when I'll just draw digitally and insert that in there. And so I think the artistic style allows for some of that flexibility. Like I'm not really striving for a photorealistic look. I'm trying to create an improvised Oh man, I mangle that word. An improvisational um, feel to it. So I'm trying to use my interpretation of the classic Chinese calligraphy or Chinese brush painting that has uh, painted in one moment, no erasing kind of feel. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of trying to infuse the comic with that same sense of energy and that same sense of you know, imperfection, like the characters, you know, represent, like they look like how they feel, you know? So I try and draw the characters so that they, so that what's going on inside them comes through, mm -hmm. which means if they're angry, maybe their head gets a little bigger and their mouth gets a little bigger. And, yeah. you know, when they're quiet, maybe they, they just like turn into a simplified shape. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, um, I, I, sorry, my, I know my face keeps getting lighter and darker it's because i'm going back to the book and i'm looking at certain um things so is there um there's certain panels that um i mean you may have answered this already and i just was too distracted to answer i mean i'm distracted by reading the book so it's not like i'm just like doing something else but um no like with certain panels of the book are very like uh hand-drawn like they're very super detailed like this um that uh i don't i i guess flashback or whatever with um I think Khan or is this his mother? I'm not sure, but it's really, really detailed and like lots of really cool grays and things like that. And then you have other like things where it's very much more traditional comic style. So is that, um, is that all intentional? It's definitely intentional. I mean, I've definitely done a few projects that are much more rigid in terms of this is the character model, draw the character to look the same. You know, I've just, story is set in a mundane world, draw the characters so they look humans. But with this project, I really wanted to give it that sense of um, just improvised brush stroke, you know, and I wanted to have that energy where it's just like happening in the moment. I mean, that scene that you just mentioned, I happen to have right here. And I want to, I think it'll make an interesting example. So here's, here's the pen and ink art, right? The line art. But then I, it occurred to me that for that scene, it's happening in flashback. Mm -hmm. there, was a, there was one point 
while I was developing the graphic novel where it would be a linear story and mm -hmm. hence it would be traditionally drawn. But what I ended up doing is redrawing that same page now yeah. in the gray tone to give it that mm -hmm. flashback feel. So here I am with, you know, two pieces of the same mm -hmm. art. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. And I, I think, think I might end up giving uh, one of them to a lucky supporter on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, I'm planning to uh, include a lot of original art in the Kickstarter campaign because, mm -hmm. you know, I would much rather see a piece like this, or I would much rather know a piece like this mm -hmm. is on someone's wall than yeah. to be in my flat file. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I really think it does a lot to, uh, as well as that, it does a lot to show your range as an artist because it does go from that really heavily rendered style like all that whole sequence that's told in flashback it's all like i said very heavily rendered and very, very like it has a lot of those grays and that but then you do go to that more simplified cartoonish style and i just think that does a lot to show your diversity as an artist well thanks I, I hope that really does come true, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I mean, whether or not like, um, you know, whether, whether or not people appreciate it, I mean, appreciate like the certain, everybody has taste as far as style, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think it still does a lot to show your range as a creator. Um, so um, I guess um, one, one last question, then we'll take a quick break. Um, there are um, moments in the story that seem to kind of have a big push for a moral or they seem like they're going to. And then it it doesn't, at least not in, in, not in a explicit way. You know, it doesn't come out and be like the moral of the story is, you know, da, da, da. And so I guess um, why, I guess why I put, but they have, they have, seem like they're going to push for moral, but they don't. Why? So I guess I, I don't know how to elaborate on that because I'm dumb, but um, how, do, I guess, why not like be more explicit? Was that on purpose to be more subdued in your um, uh, explaining or coming to a conclusion in your themes of the story? Absolutely. I'm tell you, I'm so thrilled that you pointed that out because that's been such a key underlying uh, motivation or theme within, within the project. You know, um, a lot of imagine the Zen coin, I guess that's the simplest way to think of it. You know, the Zen coin, you know, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not I mean, you can answer that, right? You could just do this. Yeah. But that's not the point. The point is yeah. to, like, open up the, the concept and to, like, embrace that mystery. And so in that same way, I wanted the story to to hint at these deeper meanings or these underlying motivations, but I, I don't want to just tell people that this means that mm -hmm. I want it to be there as a, as a possibility. I wanted the story to have a sense of, you know, not incompleteness, but an, a sense of, of improvisation, a sense of allowing, mystery. allowing the reader to kind of interpret. Yes, in exactly. I want them to be able to come back to it and, and, you know, and I would love it for a young reader to read it when they just started their martial arts training mm -hmm. and then read it again a couple of years later and think, oh, 
Mm-hmm. My kung fu teacher mentioned this mm-hmm. now. I get that now. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to have, you know, appeal. I wanted to be read. I want an adult to be able to read it to their kid mm-hmm. and for both of them to to have a little something in that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I definitely, and I think that that's also helped by, to tie back into what we've already talked about, it's definitely helped by things like the Tiger Tuesdays on your website um, that can, you know, help to supplement that. And also just, I think it's also goes along with part of the story and it's that self-discovery aspect and kind of that the moral of the story itself is kind of something you have to kind of discover on your own, but the steps are definitely laid out for you within the story, um, which is great. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I definitely think I want it to be about uh, people coming to their own resolution in the same way that the main character, Khan, mm-hmm. you know, comes to his own resolution, not because of any one thing that proves him right or wrong, but just over the course of the story's journey, he just really comes to see how much of his attitude is just in his head and how much of it really is you know what's going on around him mm-hmm. i i definitely i definitely think that's a really um important part uh to the story so um we're gonna take a really quick break for an ad and we'll be right back with a book club about um for black widow and we're back um and so like i said before we're uh the book club you gave me several options um uh like i said one of them before was the Dao of Pooh. Um, which I kind of wish I would have uh, we I gone with because I think I've been a really great topic. But um, I already read where we're already going with Black Widow, and um, I read it today. I finished it today, um, and it's we're doing the we're kind of containing it to the first volume of uh, Kelly S. Thompson and Elena Casagrande's run um, on the book, but um, which is still ongoing. But the first trade, I don't know when it the first trade came out. It doesn't matter. Um, but so. I guess one of the reasons you originally mentioned this was to kind of because of the action in the book. So I guess what drew you um, to the story? Well, I've, you know, like to keep uh, the writing of Kelly Thompson, you know, on my radar just to see. So when, when she started writing the book, I I thought it, you know, we should really take a look at it. It's going to come out in conjunction with a black widow movie you know, let's have a look at it. And then, of course, uh, the Miss likes to kind of rummage through my comics every so often. So a lot of times I'll pick up a comic that I think she might like. And so even if I don't like it, maybe she'll like it and it's yeah. worth buying. In this case, we both liked it. So I kept following it. Mm-hmm. And um, I may have mentioned it to you, but I kind of have started doing a little bit of a YouTube show with one of my, with a Kung Fu master friend who is also a comics creator. And so we're doing this show that we've been calling the Comics Fu Show, mm-hmm. where we discuss comics and Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. And so it was there where we, we've been discussing like what makes, how do you draw Kung Fu, mm-hmm. you know, in a comic? And, yeah. you know, not just in terms of like Batman can fight 20 muggers, but more, you know, more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a, a great coincidence that that Black Widow came out and just right from issue one, you know, we're seeing such excellent examples of like, like legitimate Kung Fu choreography Mm -hmm. or legitimate fight choreography Mm -hmm. that would look as, that looks as good as a, as looks as good on a page as it might look on a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, that's a great feat. Mm 
Yeah. Um, I, I just, I mean, kind of, I didn't really, I just think it's a really good showcase of not only of Elena Cascarani's art, because there's certain aspects to her art that are really um, great to me. Like in issue four, she has this really cool thing with focus where she brings, she has basically the same panel, but like she brings one character into the foreground in one panel and then she brings the other other panel, or she brings one into focus, the foreground in focus, and like the first panel brings the background in focus in the second panel, or vice versa. But I just really like the how she uses camera tricks, and like you said, it's almost like it feels like a movie in that way, and not only in that, but in the uh, the fight choreography as well. And like you said, from literally the second page of the book is a whole double page spread of um, Black Widow fighting across the page, and it's just a seamless. Um, seamless scene of her moving horizontally um in different poses and it's easy to track you know you can follow what she's doing in every single one and even though it's all one panel and you can tell like how her movements are going and plus you also have like um Hawkeye's arrow goes through the whole thing and that also gives you a really interesting through line but it does a very good job of showing that fight choreography like you mentioned um but I guess one of the things I really noticed was the use of um, this might sound dumb, but the use of her of hair uh, and how the hair shows off kind of that movement. And that's something that I've been practicing in uh, the book I'm working on right now as well. Uh, Valkyrian, she, the character has a ponytail. Um, and so I've been using that to really, you know, show how she's moving because it's, I'm trying to work on an action book myself. And so, you know, having that hair really helps to show, uh, that movement without adding a whole lot of extra to it so um I guess were there any things or I guess I, I don't know do you have any thoughts on uh not necessarily on the book for now but on um you know working in martial arts and uh choreography in comics well I mean first let me say that um you know based on the conversation that we've been having right I, I kind of wonder how well that first volume of Black Widow tracks with some of our thinking regarding um, self-actualization, learning who, who they are as a self and, um, you know, learning how to cope with their attachment. I don't want to do any spoilers for the series. So, you know, it seems like there are some underlying themes in Black Widow that really are quite juicy. Um, the artwork is gorgeous as well. You know, the, it's so well written. Mm -hmm. um, I think what you were saying about the hair and the using of like the flowing hair is such a classic um, tool, right? To be done well. Like, and when you do it well, it's just so awesome. And if you look at um, your average Kung Fu movie, you can kind of see how they, they've done that trick too. You know, in the martial arts and Kung Fu, and you've seen this weapon used if you watch Shang-Chi, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, a weapon called a rope dart, mm -hmm. which is like a knife or just a weight on the end of 20 feet of rope. And so imagine what the skill is involved to be able to swing around this rope with a, with a weapon on the end, you know, and we've seen examples of it, I guess, in a fantastic way. So I think that's a, such an excellent um, example of how, um, how motion works within movement. And so to see that applied, you know, in the artwork of Black Widow has just been such an inspiration. It's just mm -hmm. such a masterclass in, in that function. I mean, I think another great example, like 
also um what chapter four there's that home invasion scene Mm -hmm. where she jumps down and she takes and natasha takes on you know a half dozen assailants uh the one thing that really stuck with me about that scene was how it utilized uh space to indicate time Mm -hmm. you know like as she moved from one end of the spread to the other also showed time passing Mm -hmm. right that's that's like taken right out of Scott McCloud's understanding comics, the nature of space and time. The thing is, any martial artist you talk to, if they know martial arts, they have their own opinion about space and time. Space and time is a fundamental component of every martial arts, mm-hmm. not just in terms of like, you know, distance, but in terms of like, you know, movement. And so to see that, realized in the comic is always just such a treat and so having grown up and with both of those things immersed in my mind it's just it's just a mission to see who can do it i mean yeah drawing is so time intensive already but then to plan out a sequence like that that's like an extra effort and then the people who do it you know you know that they love doing it because it shows mm-hmm. and i mean i do like that you mentioned that uh this home invasion scene in issue four um but it it um i like how it uses um the it whereas like there's been other panels other double page spreads earlier in the in the volume that are um you know fluid all across the page there's no panels it's just a splash but in um i think on the same page you're talking about in on uh issue four there's there's panels around each moment and it still shows I don't know. It shows time passing, but like you said, like the, the understanding comics thing, um, it shows, it feels more um, stuttery, you know, more like um, there's, there's more like each one is a, is obviously a moment, you know, whereas in the other pages where there's no panels, it's just, it feels very fluid across the page and one isn't easier than the other, isn't better than the other, but I think that they both do different things and they're both showcases of, how you can do comic action and comic books because you can have it where it's seamless or you can have it where it's you know four i think six panels of like six like vignettes uh six panels that are just her doing martial arts but still having it continuous even though each one is individual well one of the great victories about that choice and i'm certain that that was an intentional choice Mm -hmm. was because of that staccato breakup of the panels you see certain elements like let's say uh a cheese knife sit resting on the counter in one panel. And then in the next panel over that's cheese knife is already has already been yeah. thrown at an assailant. And that happens in between the gutters. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be drawn. You don't need the, the action lines to show where it's going. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you see the knife and then in the next panel, your eye just goes straight to, the target yeah and that that those mm-hmm. it's those little choices that really mm-hmm. kind of define you know like yeah. bring a comic into the next level mm-hmm. and then um one thing that i um noticed was i went ahead and looked at i went online and looked at issue six and issue six has a different artist i don't remember who it is but it's has good action but it's action in a very different way it's very um it's it's a guest artist so it's not i don't know i don't know if he's only on issue six or what but it's it has more of those speed lines and it's done it's it's still good action but it i think looking at both of those side by side they both do action well 
but they're also both doing very different things, which I again think is a is a is interesting that you can see action well done in two very distinct ways, whereas one is more I don't know still more staticky and more but it's still very flowy and flows through, but then you have another one that's very quick and blurry and it also works just as well. Oh yeah, you know when you say that you remind me of the classic martial arts argument of which style is better Mm -hmm. you know and the truth is that there is no style that's there is no one style that's better than another style it's really about you know the practitioner so in this case i think it's the same thing there's no one artistic choice that's inherently better than the other but it's just the what the thinking that's going on behind it is what matters and i think you know, the rest of the crew, knowing that there was going to be a shift in artists, they still were able to communicate like their goal Mm -hmm. for that comic, which has to do with a high octane Mm -hmm. action, you know, built around these really deep heartfelt stories. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So, I mean, that's pretty much all my, do you have any final thoughts on the book, uh, favorite scenes or uh, favorite characters, anything like that? I feel like favorite characters, probably obvious, but um, any favorite scenes or uh, any final thoughts? Well, I guess one, one unsung favorite character for the comic is the city of San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, living in the Bay area, you know, I could leave my house, walk two blocks and I could see this beautiful skyline of San Francisco. And so to, you know, I grew up in New York and at that time, all the comics took place in New York Mm -hmm. or Gotham or Metropolis, right? Which, so to now live in California and to see, you know, Black Widow set in California, it's not her first time out there. She's been in, she's been in the Bay Area before, but just to to make a point to make the city a part of the, the story, I think goes a long way. You know, I think it just really creates a lot more um, like resonance. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't have any experience with the West Coast, so I don't really know. But um, I mean, well, I have, you, I've been there. Got to come out sometime. Yeah, I've been. I mean, I've been to. I went to San Diego once, but I don't. I can't really speak to that element. I just, I just really think I've seen a lot of people complain about this book because they didn't like the idea of Natasha having a family and a kid. But I don't have as someone without any ties to the character I really liked I thought it was I really like what it does to her and it where it leads her and where it leaves her as a character and like the implications for that going forward um you know it's just full of dynamic uh poses and it really gives me another book that we've talked about in a different book club was um Lady Killer by Joelle Jones I don't know if you've read that but um it Mm -hmm. gives very similar vibes to that just in terms of I think in terms of the ink, the way the inking is done, but also just the action and just the vibe of the book in general, kind of the housewife being, you know, a really, you know, being really bad person, like not bad in like a good way, but yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such, it's such a low key prestige book, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, I mean, Thanks to the movie, Black Widow has been elevated to be kind of within the range of, say, you know, the big iconic characters. But she's always, you know, been more of that secondary. You know, she's always played more of a supporting role than a starring role. And so 
to have a comic that really puts her on the front lines, mm-hmm. you know, it really needs to have something specific, right? The the Mark Wade run of a few years back, mm-hmm. right? Had Chris Samney as the artist, and that combination was stellar. Who thought that that could be topped? Mm-hmm. And yet here, it's just like, yeah. you know, it's so heartfelt, and and the whole concept of the family and that whole dynamic. I mean. It just comes back to some of what we were talking about in terms mm-hmm. of the nature of of attachment, the nature of you know identity, and you know who they are and what kind of person does this thing, you know. Um, or another thing, like I've often been told that martial artists learn martial arts so that they don't have to use martial arts, mm-hmm. right? And that you know that concept is in direct opposition to the other common thing that martial artists talk about, which is, is it practical for the streets? Mm-hmm. Right. And so those two things are like yin yangs of, you know, of martial arts discourse. And so, I don't know. I, I think that there's such a, a strong uh, equivalent in black widow in the sense of having these really personal story, you know, like the, the interpersonal drama of this situation that the character is, you know, is brought into, and then having that interposed with like such excellent high content mm-hmm. action, yeah. you know, it's just really, it really makes, makes it worth reading. You know, it makes me mm-hmm. next issue is coming out in a week and I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one that when the next trade comes out, I'm definitely going to have to, um, I've noticed since next trades out, I definitely need to uh, see if I can afford it, but um, comics are just, there's too many good comics out right now, but oh, um, yeah. anyway, um, that is, all I have for you, Patrick, um, where can, why don't you go ahead and let us know um, where we can find you online? Well, on the socials, you can find me at Plugo, P-L-U-G-O, or Plugo Arts. Um, the website I want, really want people to go check out is atigerstail.com because I've, I've put so much effort into it and there's a lot of cool stuff coming, coming. Uh, so just make sure to spell it T-A-L-E, right? Because it's a st- it's a story. Yeah. It's not a, a piece of anatomy. But um, so, and then if they want to see more of what I do, they can go to plugoarts.com. And that's where I post that, you know, you can see my other projects, other comics. I have a, a little web comic that I do monthly for subscribers. And you can find out about that there. Um, and, you know, just that's that's pretty much yep. where I'm at. I try and be around everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good deal. And like we said at the very beginning, at the very top, um, you know, a Tiger's Tale is coming to Kickstarter on February 1st, which will be about two weeks from now uh, when mm-hmm. this comes out. So um, that'll be a good deal. Um, as always, you can find Foreign Press Comics at F Press Comics on Twitter, Foreign Press Comics on Instagram, and ForeignPressComics.com. We're also on Facebook. Oh, we're on TikTok now. Um, I, I don't know. I'm figuring out TikTok. That's a whole thing. I don't really know. I don't I'm, really I'm know. What I'm <laughs> yeah. I had an account like for myself and it was just me and my girlfriend sending each other TikToks back and forth. And then I was like, I, I, I was just thinking about marketing. I was like, oh, I need, I, I'm going to bite the bullet and try it. And I'm just trying to, I'm trying to stick to like two a week. They're not good. I still don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's a whole other thing that I feel like I'm too old for, but I'm only 25. So who knows? Um, anyway, yeah, find us on TikTok. Uh, subscribe to our email list because there might be, I might put a discount code in there for our next book. So, you know, if anybody hears this, 
you know, go subscribe because that's a discount on the book. Why not? Um, anyway, um, that's all I have. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, shoot. Nope, 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 nope. I forgot. I end every episode with a, um, a random personal-ish question, just something out of the blue. Um, so what is your most irrational fear? My most irrational fear is probably that of dentists. Uh-huh. But I mean, I, I don't think that's that's out of the ordinary. Yeah, I was gonna say um, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty classic. So um, beyond that, um, even more irrational. Okay, how about this one? I still have this as a vivid memory. But when I was a young boy, I was freakishly afraid of stars. That's a weird one. I would look up at the night sky. I would see them, and I would think they're looking at me. <laughs> And I'd run into the kitchen, pull out the pots and pans and hide under the stove. Wow. That's probably one of those things where you saw a movie or something when you were a kid that had something to do with star, something weird that freaked you out and you just made the brain connection. But yeah, mine is birds. I don't know. I don't really know why. I just, they freak me out. Birds are just weird. I don't, I don't, I, don't, I hate birds. They're freaky. Um, uh, dinosaurs are among us. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I not, I don't think it's completely irrational when you look at it that way. Um, but yeah, I just like to end it with that just to, um, I don't know. I just think it's a fun way to end the thing. So, um, yeah. Thanks for coming on Patrick. Thank you, Kyler. This has been uh, such a treat and yeah. uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely.